0: All right, welcome everybody. Welcome back to uh, Alto Performance Insights. Uh, this week, uh, in addition to Daniel and I, we are excited to be joined by Dr. Brett Pexa, uh, who is faculty in the Master's in Athletic Training Program at High Point University. Uh, that is a place that has an incredible biomechanics lab for anyone interested in, in checking that out. They have a, a great sports biomechanics focus and just one of the absolute cutting edge labs. But Brett, it's great to have you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited
0: to talk with everybody. Yeah, for sure. And we've asked uh, Brett here actually to to join us for kind of our first breakdown of a research article. Uh, he was a lead author on a paper recently, the influence of baseball training load on clinical reach tests and grip strength in collegiate baseball players. Um, we will attach a link to it because it is open source, which is awesome. Um, but we will attach a link to that in, in our posts here at the podcast. But uh, Brett, why don't you just kind of uh, First, tell us about your own background and the type of work that you've done, um, you know, go all the way from, from Chapel Hill on over to High Point.
1: Yeah, so um, originally from Minnesota. I actually got uh, my undergrad uh, in Minnesota State Mankato in athletic training. So my background comes from a lot of uh, sports medicine, injury prevention um, ideas, I guess. Uh, I was at UNC Chapel Hill for two years on my master's, and then uh, stuck around for four more years um, for my PhD. Um, but actually, during my master's time, I, I had the opportunity to work with the UNC baseball team, and um, you know, this was right during the that big Tommy John epidemic, right? the The year of Tommy John, I think, was twenty fourteen, where we had these huge spikes in in UCL injuries, um, and I just kept on wondering why. You know, I was I was just trying to sit there and say, well, why is this happening? We we don't really know. We we have some ideas. Um, but, you know, we had a, I had a really good opportunity to, you know, transition into a PhD program where I could actually research some of these questions. So uh, during my time in my PhD, I, I took some of those questions about, you know, how can we understand, um, you know, how injuries occur in baseball players just a little bit better. Uh, and during this time is when, you know, a lot of the Tim Gabbit workloads started picking up, you know, a lot of uh, athlete monitoring, things like that, GPS, heart rate monitors, even just simple wellness measures really started to kick up. Uh, in collegiate sport and especially in professional sport Um, so during that time i just kind of blended the two together took what i learned from uh you know my time as a clinician in baseball and combined it with some of the things i was learning during my phd and it it came up to the or it came to a head at my dissertation where i just tried to understand hey what are we doing uh, on the baseball field and how is that ultimately influencing some factors that might be related to injury whether it's strength range of motion, uh, whether it's wellness measures, uh, really, really finite um, risk factors for injury as well too. So uh, just kind of took that into the dissertation. Uh, now at High Point, you know, I've kind of, I, during my dissertation, I kind of narrowed it down to baseball, but I learned so much during that time that I was like, well, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these concepts might apply to, in other areas as well too. So now at High Point University, we have the opportunity to work with a couple other teams still you know, really heavily involved with baseball Uh, the soccer teams and lacrosse teams things like that have have really started to pick up on on some of these things and you know have kind of accepted some of the things we want to do so that's a direction we're moving in just understanding you know how do we prevent injury um i always say in athletes but especially at a college level and student athletes right they're uh, high risk individuals because they have so much training load thrown on them but they also have school load, they have personal lives they have a lot of these other things that play in with them too so um it's so a lot of where my area or that's where a lot of my uh, research really lies right now. Uh, athlete monitoring, specifically student athletes. Uh, how does what we're doing on the field influence our physical health, our performance, um, and our mental health as well too. Cause it's incredibly, incredibly important.
0: Yeah, for sure. That, uh, it's a cool kind of path. And like, like you said, it's also interesting, um, at a school like High Point, going from such a narrow dissertation to now then broadening back out in a in a teaching as well as a research role, as opposed to keeping it so focused.
1: Yeah, it's really nice because you know with some of this stuff, it's so it's so new that we can take actually some of the things that we're learning and, and try to imp, and try to move it into some of our you know didactic education, right? Um, I teach a class called Optimizing Athletic Performance uh, for our athletic training students. One of the big things that we want to do is just teach basic athlete monitoring techniques. You know, whether it's uh, picking up an SRPE, understanding what that is, uh, or maybe looking at GPS data. Right? What is a band? Right? What does what does it mean when this person had you know three thousand or three hundred meters of really high speed running? Uh, what kind of changes that mean physiologically as well too. So, a um, lot of the things that we like to take from the research uses education purpose uh, at High Point. Yeah,
0: that's very cool. Um, well, so kind of transitioning towards this study specifically um, and and I guess kind of um, did it, did this come out of your dissertation what what kind of led you guys to the study uh, yeah this one uh, this one was from uh, my
1: dissertation right so we had um, uh, we recruited two baseball teams uh, over the course of a fall semester right so um, big thing that we wanted to do is, like I said before, take some of those training load variables that were really well implemented in field sports like soccer, lacrosse, uh, rugby, um, and even in an overhead sport as well, and cricket. Um, we see that these training load variables might influence uh, or might have a relationship with our overall injury risk, right? So, this idea of understanding injury prevention and, and prediction, which is a little bit of a misnomer, but uh, but just understanding how you know, uh, our uh, load on the field influences our injury risk, right? Well, as part of your dissertation, uh, biting off something like a prospective injury <laughs> risk study might be a, a pretty, pretty good uphill battle. Um, so we kind of thought a little bit differently about it, So, said, okay, in baseball specifically in the research, we have some really nice well-defined variables that might be uh, linked to injury, right? We know that uh, range of motion at the shoulder, strength at the shoulder um, have been somewhat prospectively, have been prospectively linked to injury. Saying, okay, so instead of us linking training loads, particularly to injury and injury risk, let's see if we can actually link some of the training load to the musculoskeletal factors. And again, my background in athletic training, hopefully I can understand when someone's musculoskeletal factors are changing, such as strength and range of motion, so I can intervene prior to that getting to the point of where it's actually completely you know, in a tank, and I end up getting myself injured. Um, we took some of the information previously uh, from actually a master's study of mine and um, another study that I did during my PhD. So, what we wanted to understand was in baseball players, just around a single pitching mode, right? What are the changes in their, part- or the changes that happen to their arm? What we ended up finding was that some of the range of motion variables don't recover for about two days post pitching, right? So. And they're not huge changes, right? We're not talking about 10, 15 degrees. We're talking about, you know, three, four, five degrees of difference, right? Well, if we continue this over the course of a season, all of a sudden we start stacking those two, three degrees on top of each other and halfway through the year, now we're missing 10, 15 degrees if we just let it progress naturally. And we're sitting again, we're right in that injury risk territory as well. So we wanted to understand like is it the fact that some of these throwing belts might be so close on top of each other that they could be leading to some sort of negative change um, so that's where we got the idea for the study right we wanted to understand how is their activity on the field really influence um, their overall musculoskeletal factors right we also wanted to understand the frequency at which they participated using kind of that relative load measurement of the acute to chronic workload ratio, right? Is there bolus of training happening right now or is it happening over the course of of the previous month? Um, And then the last piece that we really wanted to get at too was, okay, is this actually an arm specific load or is this a load that we are experiencing just as part of training, right? Baseball players are not just throwers. That's the one thing that I want to tell every coach, (laughs) athletic trainer, strength coach out there, right? Like if you're only training the arm, you're missing like, You know, seventy-five percent of the rest of that athlete, right? You you've got to be able to have a strong lower half, your motor. You got to have a strong, firm core that can transfer that energy upwards, and then you really have to have an arm that's going to hang on for the ride a little bit, right? The reason we see so many arm injuries um, up in the upper extremity is because it just it's moving the fastest out of our entire body, right? It's hanging on for dear life as we're creating all this power from the lower half and just transferring it upwards. Um, so. It could be that we are, you know, maybe training at a very, very high level in that lower half, and that could be leading to some sort of changes in our upper half as well too. Right, so um, throughout this paper or throughout this entire study, we wanted to ask, you know, those specific things, right? What's their load, how does their load affect them? How does the bolus of load affect them? And is it the arm or is it the whole body that we're really trying to get through as well too? with that, then we kind of had to develop a couple different ways to collect upper extremity load, right? Um, unfortunately, my dissertation uh, wasn't funded, so we had to use some uh, some pretty some somewhat unique um, methods to get at some of that stuff, right? Self-reported throws, um, you know, simple RPEs, and things like that. Uh, the body-specific loads that we collected were very SRPE, all right, session RPE, right? How long were you on the field? How difficult was practice? From the upper extremity, we said, how many throws do you think you made and how difficult were those throws, right? Talking with baseball players and doing some of our pilot testing, they told us like, hey, I can be on the field for two hours shaking BP, but it's low intensity stuff, right? I'm out here just jogging side to side, picking stuff up, dropping it in the bucket and that's it. They said at the same time, I can go throw a 75 pitch bullpen in 20 minutes, right? And a little quick, but I can throw a high volume bullpen very quickly and, exert myself in in this really quick time. So um, we want to get both of those, right? Just understanding, just trying to collect external load doesn't paint a very good picture. Um, And then on top of that, we didn't just want to use pitch count, right? Baseball players are not just throwers, so uh, are not just pitchers. So um, we wanted to understand all loads, right? All throws, whether it was, if we said if it was uh, over 90 feet, or sorry, if it was over 60 feet, it counted as a throw. Right. Um, so the intensity piece behind that—how difficult there, how intense was your practice today? Was our angle at trying to get some of, the, trying to get towards okay, what are these high-intensity throws overall? Then? So that's kind of how we ended up breaking it down, right? We have obviously an arm and a, a dominant and an non-dominant arm on each player. Um, we started. We, one thing we thought about getting and we did collect was swings. Um, ultimately, we decided against doing a lot of that because the time on the field would be um, you know, more of our external load and then their body-specific RPE would really be their um, internal load for uh, their body-specific variables there. So that's kind of how we got to this point. Those are the method. Those are some of the things that we thought about uh, as we move for- forward. Um, and then you know, it was just saying, okay, we have our tools, we have our methods. Let's do it, right? Let's do it over a competitive season. Let's do it, you know, I would have loved to do it during a spring season, um, but there's so much volatility. Guys, heads are in all different places. And, you know, I would literally tr- be trying to herd cats at that point. So um, it'd be a little tough to to try to sit there and say, OK, we're going to do this during a spring season when you guys, when you guys' heads is far more on, you know, the pitcher that Georgia Tech is going to roll out against you rather than, hey, I've got a walk. Some of the stuff alongside of it too. So, um, so we decided that within the fall season we were uh, going to implement some of these things. Uh, we piloted it for a little over a year beforehand. Um, and then when we finally implemented it, you know, actually an opportunity came along where um, a Division II school said, Hey, they heard about some of the stuff we were doing. I called their coach and said, Hey, what do you think? He's like, come on down. You know, just, you know, it would be cool for us to see some of these things. It would be interesting for us to see this as well, too. Um, so, you know, we kind of got a little bit of difference, right? We have this really highly competitive Division One school. We have this really highly competitive Division Two school. Um, so it's when we ultimately ended up putting it in there and saying, hey, let's, uh, you know, we have the people. We've got the methods. You know, let's, let's put it, in, put it into practice and, and kind of see what happens at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's definitely. Oh, sorry, Dana, Go
2: ahead. Yeah. So yeah, that all sounds great. Um, I'm I'm a little curious as to what kind of feedback you were giving the athletes throughout the process. So were you, like, how closely were you were you, um, communicating with them about the kind of things that you were collecting, and were you giving them any kind of feedback throughout the process, or was it more of a we can't tell you what we're doing until the end kind of thing?
1: So we told them um, specifically the things that we were gonna be doing with them, right? We want you to um, you know, collect workload, we want you to, or we're gonna collect workload, we're gonna collect wellness, um, we're gonna collect uh, you know, these range of motion measurements throughout the course of, a, um, you know, of your fall season and a little bit past it as well too, right? As you're in your more lifting and training season. Um, what we ended up doing with the data was, uh, at the end of it, trying to give individual reports to players, right? Um, hey, here's things, here's how you progressed, here's how you changed. Uh, here are some of the, uh, the, you know, some of the variables that you said, there uh, are times when you said you were more stressed. Here's where you didn't sleep real well. Here's where, you know, so just giving them an idea of how they changed throughout the year was some of our overall feedback, right? Um, again, unfunded study, we can't really pay our participants. Um, so we kind of thought of ways as, okay, how do we end up, you know, giving this back and and, and making it so that it's really useful for these particular athletes. Um, we thought end of the year, you know, information, how, how you change throughout the year, how things um, you know, progressed ultimately was, was what we ended up going
2: with as well too. That's cool, I think stuff like that can really help with um, athlete, athlete buy-in. When you're doing things academically, I mean, you mentioned you could. It's not just that there was no funding, but I think you might not also be able to pay certain players. <laughs> so,
1: exactly, you're completely uh, correct. <laughs>
2: uh, so um, that's you mentioned student individual athletes, yeah, 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 student athletes. Yeah, uh, you mentioned individual reports. Why don't you go ahead and um, tell us a little bit about what you found uh, at the group level, what you guys reported in the, in the paper itself.
1: Yeah, so within the paper, uh, again, we kind of had, we broke our training load data down into, into four different variables, right? So we had arm-specific load, body-specific load, right? So we wanted to break, it's kind of two groups of them. Uh, and then we had this, uh, this acute to chronic workload ratio, and then just this cumulative load over time, okay? So um, the way that we calculated that acute to chronic workload ratio, uh, the best way I like to say it is, You know, acute, it's basically a ratio of of what you're doing right now compared to what you've been doing over the previous 28 days, right? So it's really just an idea of calculating, you know, how fatigued are you relative to your fitness? Um, So if guys were really competing really, really in a high level in the previous seven days uh, relative to their previous 28 days, that's going to be a high number. And that's going to tell us that you're you're increasing your overall load uh, at this point in time when we brought you in for a testing session. Um, on the flip side of that, if you're kind of deloading a little bit, we'll see that. We'll see that you're decreasing your load relative to what you've been doing. And then you'll end up in a in more lower uh, group load or a lower number for that ACWR. And the other one that we did was just cumulative load, right? In the past 28 days, how much have you done, right? That'll, that ends up giving us an idea of, is this guy a really high loader? Is he in a position where he's been doing so much? Is he just in the middle or is he low? Right. So this is, um, we just want to see which one of these arm-specific, body-specific, or acute to chronic workload ratio and cumulative loads really was the one that was related to some of our musculoskeletal variables there. Right. So our musculoskeletal variables, we wanted to keep it really clinic-oriented. Right? As much as I would love to get somebody on an isokinetic dynamometer <laughs> to measure strength, it's not, it's not feasible for a strength coach or an athletic trainer to, to do that consistently. Right. Um, absolutely. Yeah, so some of our measures there were um, reach tests and athletes reach test. You know, we had people reach over top their head um, as far down their spine, which had a tape measure on it. And then we had them reach up their back, you know, with a thumbs up motion as high up as they could. The literature tells us that that actually correlates pretty well with glenohumeral range of motion. Uh, and it also has a scapular component to it also, right? Quantifying scapular components without a flock of birds is a lot of fun. Um, but and it basically boils down to is there Scapular dyskinesis or not? On a yes, maybe, and no. Um, so again, these are really clinical measures of strength, and then we had grip strength too. Again, we just wanted to get clinical measures, clinical oriented study to say how do our how does our load influence some of these musculoskeletal factors. And what was really interesting is that um, we had one specific training load variable, you know, related to our. our different, related to the changes within these across all three of those outcome variables, the overhead reach, the behind the back reach and the grip strength. And that was the acute to chronic workload ratio uh, from the arm specific standpoint, right? So it was really interesting that we could find that this one variable was actually related to, um, you know, our behind the back reach test, our overhead reach test and our grip strength, right? What we ended up doing with the load was just had, kind of, again, uh, stratifying people in the low, moderate, and high loading groups, right? So just to, again, to make it really easy, clean, to kind of see from a clinician standpoint. Uh, and what we ended up finding, yeah, so that acute to chronic, that our specific acute to chronic workload ratio was related to all three of those. And it demonstrated that when people were in the high and low load groups, they actually demonstrated negative changes rather to those in that more optimal middle group, right? Hmm. Um, when you read some of the acute to chronic workload rate, uh, ratio literature, they talk about this this, uh, you know, uh, this, U-shaped curve, right? Where these people in this high load, this high ACWR group and this low ACWR group, um, those are the ones that are at risk for injury. But those people in the sweet spot that are loading right where they're supposed to be, those are the ones that are ultimately gonna be you know, uh, performing well. And again, it was just really interesting that we could kind of see that all these, this arm specific acute to chronic workload ratio was able to differentiate between all three of those groups. Uh, and all three of those um, outcome variables as well. Whether it was the overhead behind the back reach test or grip strength.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting that inverted U. Uh, I guess you could also call it kind of a Goldilocks zone. Um, yeah. yep. It shows up so often in so many oh, so, so many different yeah. scenarios. Yeah, and, and that's the
1: thing it's, it's not even just the training load data, right? Like the stiffness stuff. That inverted U idea of if you're too stiff, you're thinking about bony injuries, right? But you're too soft. And you're thinking about musculoskeletal or soft tissue injury stuff in there, too. Yeah, it's just, it was so weird, right? When we ran our analysis, we're like, wow, this came up against all three of them. Um, and we see that just kind of trend over and over uh, for that uh, acute to chronic workload ratio,
2: the arm-specific acute to chronic workload ratio group. Yeah, there's, there's so many physiological phenomena that follow that exact relationship. So that's cool to see. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it shows, really, really mean... Awesome. Awesome we're creatures of habit right and that's kind of the, the cliche way of saying that but in reality like the body takes a while to adjust and so if you're if you're either not uh stimulating it or you're over stimulating it definitely definitely at risk there one of the other things i think it's really interesting you talked about uh kind of wanting to make sure that there were clinical tests involved in this and, and daniel and i recently um on the on our website we've been talking a bit about all the different types of technology available but you know we try to talk about the pros and cons of each one and one of the things is just, uh, you know, sure. There's there's lots of technology out there to measure anything you want, but how how practical is it in a training room type setting? I think that's really really cool. How I guess, um, like, how long would you say a, a protocol was for for an athlete to come in and get tested?
1: For us, it was um, relatively quick, right? I mean, for us to do range, for us to do reach test and grip strength. I mean, you're talking three minutes tops. Yeah. Right. As part of this study, we did do a couple of other things, right? We had some people jump up and down for counter movement jump. We, you know, took a little bit more traditional range of motion measurements as well. Um, but you know, the specifically this stuff was, you know, it there was not, this was quick. This was easy. It was a straightforward, right? The right. only problem, the only problem with some of this stuff is that it's, a, it's, it's global, right there. We're not minutely saying, Hey, this is what's changing, right? Like if I look at a reach test, I can't tell you the overhead reach test specifically. I don't know if a change comes from uh, a change in scapular movement, a change is from a change in you know, glenohumeral movement, uh, or if it's a uh, you know a true change in maybe even elbow flexion ability. Right, like each one of those joints and each one of those areas is, can influence that outcome. But each one of those joints and each one of those areas is also really really important during the throwing motion. Right, so if I start to see these big changes present, I kind of had this almost this like cascade. Uh, in my dissertation slot, right? Okay, we might start to see some of the first things that change are just feelings of soreness, right? Everybody's going to get sore after heavy activity, right? Well, if I start seeing those, maybe I can take a step into the clinic and say, hey, let's see if any of these musculoskeletal factors, some of these reach tests, this grip strength is changing. Now, all of a sudden, I see big changes there. I might take you one step further, get you on the table and take a true internal, external rotation, maybe some elbow flexion, right? Maybe I might watch your scapula real quick. Or I might if I have the ability to put a handheld dynamometer, maybe I'll do that too. So it's this idea of each little piece leading to the next one and saying, hey, am I, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss if this guy's has now lost, you know, it's a midseason, he's lost 15 degrees of internal rotation or external rotation. Well, as a clinician, I can change that, right? I can adjust that before his next start, or I can adjust that before he gets on the field, or I can go talk to coach and say, hey, uh, he can DH tonight, but let's give me a day or two with them. You know, we got an off day tomorrow, give me a day or two with them. Let's just flesh this out, give them a couple days to, to figure this out. So um, that's how we kind of put this stuff in play, right? We want to, if we see a small change, it might lead us to something else to we'll say, hey, let's just investigate and make sure I'm not missing anything.
0: Yeah, uh, that, makes, that makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you've, you've started to hit on kind of one, of one of the other questions you had, which is why, why is it important to monitor load? This, this concept of acute chronic workload. Is, is taking off in a lot of athletics, uh, but definitely in baseball and basketball. I mean, this load management, right? It's, it's kind of the buzzword yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously right now things are very different with the bubble, but the last couple of years, that's been a huge thing. Uh, and so in addition to, to the injury risk and, and return to play aspects, um, what are kind of the ways in which people are typically monitoring load these days in, in athletics, um, both at, at professional levels, but also – I mean, for for any of our listeners that that maybe are working with high school athletes or, or, you know, parents, what are ways in which they can kind of keep eyes on this stuff because it is related to injury risk, as you've been talking about? Yeah, 100%. You, You think
1: about what a lot of our finite load measurement tools, right? Things like global positioning systems, local positioning systems, accelerometers, heart rate monitors, things like that, right? Professional sports, college sports now, those are becoming pretty common to see. Uh, and and implement, right? But at the same time, they're so expensive, right? You're talking five, 10, 15, even $20,000 for these systems. Uh, And it's great to protect that collegiate student athlete. But, you know, I think last time we looked, we have over 18 million, you know, youth and adolescent athletes out there who are competing at really high levels and really enjoy the sport, right? So we, if we can find a way to take some of these, again, some of these really finite training load measurement tools and translate them to some more basic concepts. That's what we're looking to do. Uh, currently at High Point, if we don't have a wearable, if we don't have anything like that, and even if we do at times, we just wanna start with the absolute basics, right? Uh, Carl Foster out of uh, UW Lacrosse uh, put forward this idea of just session rating of perceived exertion. Okay, And he just has this idea of, okay, it, what you do during activity comes down to two things, right? You have your external workload, and that's what you're doing, right? All sure. of us could go out right now, and we could run six miles, right? For Daniel, <laughs> that might be pretty easy. Chris, you and I, I don't know. Maybe, no, no maybe I'm not.
0: I'll meet you at the water table.
1: That's what I'm saying, right? So we can all do it, right? We can all go out, and I can, I can make it through that, right? If I've got a walk part of it, I'll make it six miles, no doubt about it. <laughs> um, But then on the other side of that, the flip side of that is we need to understand how we are reacting to that particular activity, right? So if we are running six miles, right, Chris, your and my heart rates might be up closer to 170, 180 as we get up there, right? (laughs) Daniel, you're a runner, you're probably going to be right in your aerobic zone, you're going to be at a good pace and it's going to be, you know, not nearly as physiologically taxing for you, okay? Um, again, you don't have a heart rate monitor, that's fine. We can go ahead and give ourselves a simple rating of perceived exertion, zero to 10, or use the six to 20 scale to give us an idea of, okay, how difficult was that overall? Okay, was this really, really easy, you know, one out of 10, or was this the toughest workout I've ever done, 10 out of 10, right? And when we t- multiply those together, it's an arbitrary unit, but it gives us this idea of what are we doing on the field. Right? And when we start looking at that over time, we can start to see, are we increasing load, are we decreasing load? We can use that outcome to start to calculate a couple of, you know, a couple of these acute to chronic workload ratios, excuse me, or this cumulative load piece to see how we're changing, right? Um, I gave a talk this year at uh, the National Athletic Trainers Association of just training load monitoring on a budget, right? It comes down to, right, how do you, can you just capture some sort of external load? Steps, time, throws, right? If you have a soccer practice and you know it's 90 minutes, it's right there, right? Your athletic trainer, your strength coach puts down 90 at the end of practice when everybody's stretching, right? On the back of the clipboard, you've got the zero to 10 scale. You say, hey, how difficult was practice today? You know, Give me a zero to 10. You just go to any athlete. It was a five. It was a six. It was a seven. Um, what we've actually started to implement too is uh, some of those surveys on uh, an iPhone or a smartphone okay. um, through... Google Forms, Microsoft Forms. Um, uh, from a research level, we use Qualtrics just because we have a little bit more flexibility, it's covered in my IRB. Um, so we talked about just, hey, have the, every single one of your athletes knows how to use a cell phone. I swear to God, they're on it all the time. Right? <laughs> so uh, put something on it that you can use. Hey, after practice, tap this little link, you know, uh, give us how long you're on the field, give us how difficult practice was. The nice thing about using those surveys is that there's no bleed over effect, right? You guys could have all put six, but I thought that was really tough. So I'm going to put nine, right? If I hear that in practice, you go six, you know, Daniel goes six, Chris goes seven. I'm like, oh yeah, it was, like, it was a six. You know. It was a six. Even though I'm in the corner huffing and puffing, making sure to say oh, I stay on my feet.
0: Right. That's um, what I was just, I was just going to ask is about, and when even the effect of, you know, the coach being there or, or whatever else, yeah. uh, yeah, a ton of that stuff,
1: right? You know, if a strength coach is there too, you know, you don't want to you know, seem weak in front of a strength coach. Right. Um, so there's a lot of variables there. But at the same time, um, you know, we want to collect this data in a meaningful way. Okay. So and, and be able to collect it consistently, reliably, right? So if for your organization, it's best to do it paper, pencil, that's fine. If you can find a way to get it onto a Microsoft form or a Google form, hey, that's great too. The nice things about the forums is the fact that you can actually take and work with Office 365 or you can work with uh, Google Data Studio to start to put some of that stuff into printouts for yourself. Are you Viewing this stuff through graphs and through visuals, because then you can really start to comprehend data. You can look at a chart all day long and try to say, oh yeah, I'm seeing these trends. The minute you put that thing in a line graph and, some, and some, some scatter charts, all of a sudden you're like, okay, look at that, my sleep quality is, garbage when I'm not, uh, or when I'm really, really high loading. So, um, just start with the things that you can collect, right? Start with an external load measure, but also get that internal load measure, right? Whatever those two things might be for your particular organization. That's where uh, that's the starting block is just saying, these are the two things that are really important to us.
0: Yeah. it, It sounds, it sounds like you're saying quantify it, right? And, and simplify it. That's it. That's, that's it, right? Uh, I think part of what we really strive to, to show people is possible.
1: Yeah, and it is, right? And there's a that heart rate monitor, right? You want to go get a heart rate monitor, go for it. That's fine. But we there's data out there that says heart rate and RPE are relatively related and they can give us a, a, a relatively good measure. Right. Plus some of that stuff is subjective and you can start to understand that if somebody's really telling you that, hey, this was a difficult practice, right? They're ready, willing, and able to admit that. Like we've got to, you know, as a clinician, I've got to take that into account and be like, wow, they really are struggling. And it's clear to see that now too.
2: I'm wondering too, Brett, I mean, this stuff is definitely collectible. um, And it's it's definitely stuff that uh, people outside of the academic realm can work with relatively easily. I'm wondering in your experience, What's it like getting athletes to buy into this kind of thing? What's it like getting them to um, actually care about their data? One of the biggest things that
1: we tell, um, what we tell coaches, strength coaches, and athletic trainers is it all comes down to trust, right? Like you can, you know, trust. It, it's You um, gain it in ounces but lose it in gallons, right? So the minute that you take some of this data and you use it to punish someone, it's over. You might as well pack it up, call it a day, Right, but if you're going to use this to enhance your practices, right? Maybe you're seeing that your team is really sore today, or you've been working at a really high level these past seven days. And you're like, "Wow, we've been working really hard." I'm okay with taking a day and saying, "Hey, maybe we back down just a touch." You know, uh, let's give ourselves a little bit of um, you know a, a bit of a rest, day. and then when we come back across the weekend we're ready to hit it, we're ready to go, uh, and we can really you know, hit this, just some simple stuff of soreness, right? Are you sore today? Are you fatigued? How Are you sleeping? Then you really get a good idea because you know what they're doing, you know how they're reacting after the fact, and then you can really start to make some changes. And it's not changes even to the practice schedule, right? You can say, hey, these, you know, we got some really bad hamstring soreness today, you know, athletic trainer, can you actually take us through a warm up protocol or strength and conditioning coach? Can you take us through a warm up protocol to make sure that we're prepared before we really start technical work, right? I don't want people doing drills while thinking about, oh man, my hamstrings are so sore, right? We really want to have that attention on the task that we're doing rather than on some of the nags, some of the aches, and some of the pains. Um, so it, it, it's, I think that as, you're using this data and if you're showing your athletes that you're using this data for their benefit, that's the first best step that you can take, right? Say, hey, here's what we're collecting and here's how I'm using it on the back end, even if it's just one day out of the week. Um, You know, it it goes miles to athletes, right? Even now at High Point, we have athletes that are like, oh man, yeah, coach came to us today. He said, hey, looks like you guys are a uh, a little sore, not quite as ready. Um, let's go ahead and you know we're gonna take ten minutes before practice, but then after that we're gonna hit it really hard, right? So I need you to be
0: able to find a way to get into headspace to really practice at a high level here today. Interesting. That's that's cool and it's cool hearing those kind of uh, stories of application. Um, we're starting to to come to the close here, but something we've we've been doing that we want to continue with each of our guests, uh, in in just kind of a minute or less, uh, kind of general synopsis. Where, where do you wanna see the field of, of athlete monitoring and, and workload tracking go in the next you know, three, five, 10 years? Yeah, I would, um,
1: I love that we have GPSs. I love that we have heart rate monitors. Um, I really wish that you know all of our strength coaches and clinicians can start to realize there's some really basic tools that we can use to at least get a start on some of these things, right? Maybe it's workload tracking with internal external loads. Maybe it's wellness tracking from a sleep, fatigue, readiness, stress, soreness standpoint. Um, You know, maybe it's something completely different, uh, just a, a step counter on a phone, right? Because some of these things are the things that we can't see, right? We can't see when an athlete is really struggling with something not related to sport. But if we can start to pick up on some signals, start picking up on some signs, that's gonna enhance our practice, right? Whether we're a strength coach, whether we're an athletic trainer, whether we're a head coach or assistant coach, if we can start to pick up on the small things and we give ourselves the tools to pick up those small things, I mean, we're gonna make a change across, not just at the pro level, not just at the college level, but we're gonna make a difference in high school, you know, adolescent athletes. And hopefully, you know, that keeps us healthy, right? That keeps us in sport, that keeps us, you know, uh, tied to some of the things we love moving forward, so. That's hopefully where i see it go and it's hopefully where uh, we can kind of get to in the future
2: uh that's great uh so before we sign off brett uh why don't you go and tell our audience where they can find out more about you or, or get in touch with you
1: yeah so my uh i've really enjoyed twitter i was actually shelby peel works at High Point university and now we were talking about how much we love twitter today um but uh twitter is the best uh if you want to interact with me at brexa b-r-e-x-a 17, uh, Brett Peck, so you can find me on there. There's not, I don't think there's any other Brett Pecks in the world, so I feel lucky. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can find me on there always. My email box is always open. Uh, if you have a really pressing question and I don't answer, email me again. That's not disrespectful. I'm, I'm here for it. I, I like seeing. I love interacting with uh, you know clinicians, practitioners, people who are seeing things and and want to make a difference. Uh, you know, as a professor in our athletic training program, right? If this is something that really speaks to you. Come on out, right? We have you know a lot of opportunities as in, in our athletic training education program. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities, you know, at High Point overall too. So, um, you know, this is my this is my you know shameless plug for the uh, High Point University for High Point Athletic Training Education Program as well. So, um, you know, if you want to even come see the lab, like Chris was saying, I, I feel so blessed to work in the place I do, uh, and I don't know what I did previously in my previous 28 years to do it but you know here i am Um, i feel blessed every day and uh, thank you guys so much for having me this was this was awesome
0: yeah absolutely um it's been been great talking to you and thanks for walking through some of some of your research and and the applications of it um and we'll we'll definitely include include some links here in in the uh, posts but uh, that's gonna wrap it up for for this episode so brett thanks again daniel it's good seeing you as always um, and everybody, be sure to check us out on social media and at autosportsperformance.com.